Blog Talk Radio. The following show is a proud member of the ShowDoc Network. Learn more about this show and other great shows by logging on to ShowDoc.com. This week's episode of The Legal Docket is being sponsored by Blog Talk Radio, The Hyperbole Hour. And by the death dealing, President Obama refuses to Coming to you live from... What's on your docket? Welcome to the legal docket with Quas and Jay. Tune in to hear their take on law and politics to find out if our government makes the grade. Presented by ShowDoc.com. Time to talk some politics and legal issues, and also the current news. Hello and welcome to the legal docket on Blog Talk Radio. This is episode number 19. For January 14th, Monday night, 2012, tonight we'll be talking about the debt ceiling, uh, Hillary Clinton's hearing on Benghazi, and many other top political issues, popular news, and also legal issues on the legal docket. We're coming to you live tonight from Brooklyn, New York, and Staten Island, New York. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ethan Klossman, and joining me alongside tonight is Ilya Arbert, again, J.B. Rhoda, our other co-host, uh, who's normally with us, is, is still on assignment. He should be back in the near future. But tonight, Ilya is joining me alongside. During the show, we want to hear from you on the phone line. As we'll be taking questions from our listeners. You can call us at our toll at our toll free number. It's one three four seven. Hold on, let me get it. Well, since Mr. Quasman introduced me, I think I'll take over at this point. Uh, our phone number is 347-426-3903. Again, that number is 347-426-3903. Quas, um, I, hate, I hate to do this to you, but uh, toll-free numbers are typically numbers that start with 1-800. The phone numbers that required area code are not considered toll-free. Yeah. Um, however, you can call us via Skype or via Google Talk, there are numerous options available nowadays. Yeah, you can call us via Skype. Uh, you can check it out. Uh, we have a Skype link in our show page at go.showdoc.com slash LD19. And there is a Skype link, and you can uh, you can call in with Skype for free. Uh, you can just just with a Skype account, and that's your toll-free number to call in. So... Blog Talk Radio does enable the Skype call, and that's correct. So that's that's. I meant to say that was a toll-free option for you. you go ahead, Ilya. <laughs> sure. Well, no, that, that was just the, the beginning of it. But uh, I guess uh, without further ado, let's get into the topics. Uh, let's talk about uh, what Klaus uh, mentioned earlier, which is uh, the Hillary Clinton. Well, we just heard today it was a late announcement. Uh, just this Monday afternoon, uh, that uh, Hillary Clinton is actually going to be coming before Congress to testify uh, regarding the Benghazi, September 11th Benghazi attacks earlier this year that uh, killed one of the one of the members of, of her State Department, actually. And I think that's a major development. Uh, we know earlier the former CIA chief, um, I, I'm sorry, General Petraeus, uh, Petraeus right before his uh, scandal was uh, called into Congress, and actually right after he resigned, uh, a few weeks later he was testifying before Congress. And it doesn't seem like much came out of that. Uh, So what do you think, Ethan? Do you think there will be a lot more talk about the Benghazi attacks after Hillary Clinton gives her take on the issue, or do you think this will just kind of be an ongoing issue uh, for the next several years? I think this will clear it up. I think this is what people are waiting for. Hillary is this is she's uh, ending her term as the Secretary of State, and this is a very important hearing. And I think this will set everything in stone in terms of uh, the U.S.'s response to the attack in Benghazi, Libya, uh, that killed uh, the U.S. ambassador as well as uh, a couple of Americans. And uh, the September 11th attack 
2012. Uh, so I think, uh, Ilya, like you mentioned, I think this is very important. I think this will put everything to rest. I think this is what uh, the administration is waiting for. Uh, President Obama, one of the things he's criticized the most about in the, uh, in the, in the election debates was his foreign policy and issues like these. And uh, I think this will set everything to rest, Ilya. I think this will be, be critical for, uh, to, in order to move forward from this. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I think that uh, it's something that's been going on through the election cycle, and it's kind of still an ongoing issue. But the question remains. I, I believe uh, General Petraeus, Petraeus was far closer to the issue than uh, President uh, than um, Senator. Sorry, not Senator. Uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton was. She seemed he was a member. Uh, the individual that was killed was a member of her department. However, I don't think she was particularly aware of any of the intelligence issues that were going on, and I believe she was briefed at a far later time, right around the time that President Obama had found out about it. So uh, I'm not sure she's necessarily the one who should be testifying. I think more particularly, perhaps um, Susan Rice is the person that they should really uh, talk about. So, uh, I, you know, we they, they have mentioned her before, and I'm surprised that her name hasn't been coming up lately. But I think she's really the person to to, to to talk to nowadays. So we'll see how that turns out. And, uh, Quas, if you don't mind, I want to jump over to another topic real quick because this is just something that's coming out of the New York Times. Uh, President Obama has announced his willingness to use executive orders on gun control issues. Yes, now, this is, this this is big news. This is something that uh, I believe the pro-gun activists have been saying would happen, and they were very adamant. Is this the same panel that uh, that, that is being led by Vice President Biden on gun, on gun control issues? Yes, particularly. And actually, um, President Obama was in Newtown, Connecticut, the location of that uh, massacre in Sandy Hook High School that happened uh, earlier. Uh, Sandy Hook Elementary Sandy Hook Elementary, yes. And he was actually, uh, here's his quote directly. He says that President Biden has presented me now with a list of sensible, common-sense steps that can be taken to make sure that the kinds of violence we saw at Newtown doesn't happen again. He also added that my starting point is not to worry about the politics. My starting point is to focus on what makes sense, what works. Uh, It seems that he is perhaps indicating that uh, he's willing to use his independent power of his office, executive orders as such, and in a way kind of bypassing Congress altogether. Well, uh, that, that's an interesting development here, and it seems that President Obama is certainly taking a, a tough stance on gun control, including facing intense, intense opposition from NRA, the National Rifle Association, yeah. And and they and they and they have a very strong lobby. So he's going to be going against a lot of political power that's going to be vocally against anything that he puts forward. So we're we're, we're up for quite an interesting gun control debate coming up uh, later this year, I believe. And, and this is something that's going to be an ongoing issue, I think, on a regular basis. And also, and Walmart also because they sell guns. Walmart also is is uh, as part of the panel. And they were very much uh, adamant about uh, these gun control laws. Uh, so it should be interesting to see how this issue unfolds uh, this uh, the coming months, because uh, it's it's already turned into a pretty heated debate. And yeah, and I think it's very very interesting now that we see President Obama. I'm, I'm not so sure that he would have necessarily uh, actually addressed this issue prior to election. But now that he already has gotten reelected, he's taking a much harder stance on this kind of issue than he would have in the past, I believe. So it's very, it's, it's actually very telling of what I believe we will be seeing more from President Obama in the coming months. And uh, this, is, this is definitely, I think, the first real step where we see him putting his foot down and saying, well, this is what I believe and this is what is going to happen and I will make it happen. Uh, I I don't think we've really seen him 
take such a hard stance on an issue since the healthcare debate that we had during the previous administration. So uh, I'm not sure if he's necessarily going to make gun control his primary issue for the rest of his term, but I certainly think that this is something that we will be coming back to on a regular basis during the course of his administration. Yeah, it's very interesting because during the Bush administration, most of the issues were most of the gun-related issues or weapon-related issues were internationally based, and now during the Obama administration, it's been mostly domestically based. Uh, and uh, Obama has had to deal with the, the domestic issues here at home of uh, keeping the Americans safe in our own country from 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 from, uh, from criminals. Um, so it's interesting that uh, the comparison between the two, the two administrations over the past uh, 12 years. Right, indeed. I, I definitely think that it, this is an issue that's, going, that's really coming to the front of, of, the, inter, of the national debate. Uh, in fact, if I remember correctly on, on my uh, data, correct me if I'm wrong, Ethan, but I believe that the U.S. has some of the most, I'd say, lax gun control laws in out of all the Western nations. Yeah, and that's one yeah. thing that that Piers Morgan on CNN was trying to emphasize. I don't know if you caught uh, his show, Ilya, but Piers Morgan... Had I believe I actually mentioned that show, Quas. I mentioned that show in our last... Uh, it was actually happening right during our last broadcast. Uh, he was having the debate with Alex Jones, and this was actually one of the one of the facts that he brought up was the fact that the, <clears throat> the U.S. probably has some of the most um, progressive, I would say, laws allowing the retention of guns and, and actually weapons of, um, you know, we, we can say weapons of, of uh, assault, assault weapons. Uh, they, they allow assault weapons to be held by private individuals. So this is something that not many countries in the world, few, very few countries in the world have, uh, particularly those countries that are not considered, that are considered uh, Western nations that are considered the ones that are essentially leading the world to a more uh, better place. And, and, and it's actually interestingly to note that even England, France, Spain, uh, all, all those other countries, they actually have far more stricter laws when it comes to gun control. And uh, it's interesting to yeah. note that the U.S. It has it retains this issue and that, that this is kind of uh, something of a recurring issue due to the fact that the Second Amendment does exist and it is very often, um, I guess, used as a defense for some of the gun control owners and uh, it allows them to actually continue this debate on, on a extensive, you know, it's an extensive debate that continues to come up over and over and over again. And I think the fact that the Constitution allows for that is something that's actually very telling about how our country is built. Yeah, it's amazing that it's the Second uh, Amendment. <laughs> it's right Indeed, there. Second Amendment. But again, you know, this is something that we have to look at in perspective. And I know that during the debates that there was a moment when President Obama mentioned, you know, it's a different world out there than when the Constitution was written. You know, we, we don't we don't have the kind of situation that was made, uh, the, the situation that existed when the Constitution was being written. We have to remember that when the Constitution was being written, this country was still very young. There was still a chance of oppression by by the British. So it was right. far more important for, for people to have weapons easily accessible. They didn't have an army as strong as we did today. Most of the army that was built during the uh, Revolutionary War was actually partisan army. So it was citizens who had private arms that they held and so having that in the law of the country, I think was an important step for the U.S. to gain its identity. It's the ability to defend yourself against an oppression, against slavery of some kind or, or dependence of some kind. And uh, it was a far different world from where we find ourselves now where the U.S. is actually one of the leaders in, in uh, international policy. So it's it's much different world out there today than when the country is still being built as a young country with uh, lots of different, uh, you know, lots of questionable ways of uh, where it could go. 
And Alex Jones, he thinks that Piers Morgan is going to be the oppressor. <laughs> well, I'm not so sure about that. Piers Morgan doesn't strike me as the most intimidating guy. Yeah, but, uh, but Alex Jones made it seem that way. He uh, wants to deport him. and uh, he's, he is certainly, He is certainly, you know, an interesting gentleman to speak to. However... I do very much believe that he talks far more than he takes action. <laughs> and that's just that's just my personal opinion. I'm sorry. You can say that again. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. Um, but I, I think that, you know, there, there was actually another one. I, I don't remember what this was, but this was a couple of days ago. I, I, I doubt I'll find that link. But there was a business owner who actually sells weapons who went online and uh, he pretty much made a YouTube video which went viral, saying essentially a call to arms. They said if President Obama does something that is going to affect his ownership of guns or limit it in some way, fashion, or form, that he said that there's going to be a revolution. We're going to take up arms and we're going to, you know, like he said, people will be killed. So that was quite quite an a interesting uh, exchange. Let me see if I can find it online right now. Uh, and uh, send 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 the stuff for you just so I can give you the more accurate information on this. Um, see how I can find. Quas, can you, can you fill in on anything? Do you know anything about this? About can you repeat the the, the uh, comment? Uh, this is the uh, the guy who is business owner on YouTube. He posted a video for uh, gun, pro guns. I, I clearly forget this was a couple of days ago, and I uh, forgot to note it down for myself. Um, let's see if I can find it. I actually want to switch gears to um, a national topic. Uh, I'm, I'm sure our listeners have heard of this and have comments about this, um, but uh, there's a report uh, from Los Angeles Times and many other news sources that Lance Armstrong confessed doping drugs to Oprah Oprah Winfrey, of course. Uh, he was stripped of his Tour de France championships, and he's reportedly and the cyclist has reportedly confessed to Oprah Winfrey on Monday today during a tape interview that he used performance-enhancing drugs when the fame race seven times. Wow! But also, um, if you've been following, Wait, so you say, so you saying it wasn't his bike? <laughs> That's that's the report. There, there was a joke going around on the internet that it, it, it wasn't Lance Armstrong that was using doping; it was his bike. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. This, this, this is actually very interesting news. This is definitely news to me. Lance Armstrong was using doping. Nobody could have figured that one out before. But in any case, uh, it's it's an interesting it's interesting that he finally came forward and and he was able to. Uh, really have that kind of uh, confidence, I think, to face what has been happening. And I think it's very important to note that, you know, perhaps he's actually going to be able to get more people to respect himself, you know? It'll be it'll be something that's uh, interesting to note. And I think that uh, it's a very important event for sports in particular because this is yet again another time that we see an athlete using doping uh, but I think more particular in the long run because, uh, you know, this, this is these are major athletes. There's a lot of money involved. It's something that people look up to. You know, this is... He's and, and he, and he was involved with so many different charities, too. And he, right. And there's been talk of him having to... to but you know what? But you know what, Ethan, I do want to note, and this is something that's very important also, I think, is the fact that the media is doing their job. You know, yes, they are. This is this is something that I think a lot of people will often attack the media for being too biased and, and or too you know there are many attacks on the media but this is particularly one of those moments where I think the media pushed him to admit it and really did their work in order to really show something that was really wrong going on and forced him to come forward and accept his his uh, mistake and, and face it and I think that's a very Interesting moment because the mainstream media do not get their 
their due when it actually comes down to moments like this. Yeah, and, and, and the media are doing their job. That's a great point, Ilya. Uh, just an article released one hour ago online from the Wall Street Journal talks about what what was behind Lance Armstrong's Lance Armstrong's decision to talk. The great article. I suggest anyone interested in this topic, so so a lot of people are, to read it online from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, it runs through. Uh, all the reasons Armstrong had to admit that he, after a, a long period of time, that he that he that he used performance-enhancing drugs, according to the Associated Press, and uh, one of Armstrong's um, goals is to lay the groundwork for the USDA, the uh, United States Anti-Doping Agency, um, to consider allowing him to compete in elite triathlon triathlons, the three-discipline sport he had taken up after retiring from cycling in 2011. So Mr. Armstrong's legal team had been divided about a possible confession, as the Wall Street Journal notes, with some expressing concern about its potential effect on continuing litigation. So a lot of legal issues involved here with Armstrong. He had a whole legal team. This is something JV would like to uh, talk about. Uh, if he was on with us. Um, and there was a whole legal issues involved here with Armstrong's admitting that he uh, took performance-enhancing drugs. And former teammate Floyd Landis' allegation against Mr. Armstrong in 2010, which was first reported in the Wall Street Journal, doing a great job here, kicked off the USADA investigation and a separate federal fraud probe into whether Mr. Armstrong's U.S. Postal Cycling Team had defrauded sponsors by using performance-enhancing drugs. So a lot of issues involved here If since he cheated. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's, a whole, it's a whole brigade of issues here, uh, Ilya. It's crazy. I mean, this investigation is crazy. Uh, we are definitely, we're definitely go veering a little bit off the political end of things. We're turning into more of a variety show, but I want to bring attention to something that uh, <laughs> that's very interesting. Uh, it, it's also probably not directly politically related, but it kind of is. More particularly, this is very, very much related to the politics of New York. As many people know, uh, New York has recently passed the law in order to prevent. Um, you know, large sugary drinks from being consumed or from uh, being sold at various restaurants and outlets. There, there's a limit on sizes that can be done. And uh, what's very interesting... Is this the Bloomberg law? Yes, it was a Bloomberg law, yes. Uh, but actually, what, I'm, what I want to note is that for the first time, the actual companies are beginning a public relations fight back, uh, and they're doing this on a national scale. Uh, the Los Angeles Times is reporting that Coca-Cola is uh, beginning launching a, a, essentially a PR campaign with a two-minute advertisement that is going to debut tonight on cable news channels addressing what it calls the complex challenge of obesity uh, in a spot that's called Coming Together, uh, a similar phrase that Starbucks Corporation used in the fall to try to get the fiscal cliff negotiations moving. Coca-Cola showcases its efforts to be transparent about the nutritional content of its products and to expand its line of drinks with low or no calories. The ad says, today we'd like people to come together on something that concerns all of us, obesity. The long-term health of our families and the country is at stake. So uh, Coca-Cola goes on to showcase a portfolio of more than 650 beverages that include more than 180 low or no calorie drinks. And they say also that most of the full-calorie drinks also have healthful versions, according to that very same spot. So I think this is something that's very interestingly crucial, because it seems that uh, Coca-Cola seems to be fighting back for the first time all the negative press that they've been receiving, uh, particularly with the Bloomberg Law. Uh, and uh, it's something that uh, I think is a big step. Um and it's, it looks like on Wednesday, Coca-Cola will launch another commercial during American Idol uh, that is going to be called, the tagline will be BOK, where the company is going to stress that burning off 
140 calories in a single can of Coke can actually be fun. So I expect that to be quite a quite an interesting video. So we have yet to see how that turns out, but it seems that uh, the big big sugar companies are finally taking the fight to the to the media, which is something that they haven't really been doing over the past few years. They've just kind of been sitting back and letting things take course, but it seems now that they're really beginning to... I, I, it must be affecting their sales in some way. I mean, I, I can't see why a company like Coca-Cola would need to pursue such a PR uh, war for a reason if, if their sales or somehow it was not negatively affecting them. I, I just don't see how a corporate giant like that uh, would just enter a war for the sake of, uh, you know, politics as opposed to for the sake of business. What do you think? Uh, in terms of the uh, the Bloomberg campaign? Well, I'm thinking in terms of Coca-Cola in general. Uh, you know, you, you don't think that a huge corporation such as Coca-Cola could really begin such a, a, a big PR war, which is essentially what this is because they're doing an advertising yes. campaign. Uh, they would begin it if there were no underlying economic reasons. I have trouble believing that they're doing this just because, you know, they want to defend their image. I believe that there must be some kind of economic stimulus behind it, whether their sales are down or the negative press that they're showing in uh, various internal um, surveys that apparently their negative image is affecting their sales in some way. That's the only way I could envision them going such a full forward force because Coca-Cola is not the type of company that needs to respond to any kind of bad press. They're very comfortable where they are and uh, I, I think it's it's interesting to see that even a company such as big as a company we consider what they used to, the terminology they used to be for the banks but this is one of those corporations which you call too big to fail. They're so big. They don't need an example of the uh, of advertising in, the, in this digital media era where you have to be on your toes all the time. And I think that's what Coca-Cola is doing to uh, to keep their sales up. They need to uh, to prove to everyone. To but do you, really, do you really think that they necessarily need this PR campaign? I think they're doing all right for themselves. I mean, people buy Coke products regardless. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that, but... And like they said, there's over 650 beverages. We're not just talking about Coca-Cola. I mean, we're talking about Sprite. We're talking about uh, a bunch of different brands, which are also Coca-Cola, but associated with that. Right, exactly, because they're actually uh, a completely different brand. They're not actually the Coca-Cola brand, but they're still part of the same corporate structure. So, you know, they really don't need it. They really don't need this campaign. So it's telling that they're actually coming out and doing this campaign now. I think it's a, it's a big step in, uh, in definitely in economics and definitely in how the media is affecting them. It seems that there's a big uptick in uh, social media, I guess, which is really making a lot of companies, or even huge corporations, a little bit nervous. And I think definitely now more than ever, I, I, I don't want to get too technology-based over here, but I think now more than ever, the voice of the individual, the power of an individual voice is far more important than ever in the past. There's much more outlets, there's a lot more ways to make an impact with just one person than there have been in any of the years past. Yeah. If our listeners so, want to want to chime in on this uh this topic or any other topics we mentioned thus far, you can call us at three four seven four two six thirty nine oh three. You can call us toll free from Skype. Uh over at our show page. If you want to chat with us in the chat room, you can do that as well. You can also chat with us on on, on jabber.org from an IM client. You can chat with myself at Ethan Klossman at jabber.org or Ilya Arbit at jabber.org. And we look forward to hearing from you if you want to chime in on any of the topics we discussed thus far. So that's that's right, guys. Make your voice heard, just like I just said. Make your voice heard. You can definitely make that happen, particularly in our show. You can definitely make your voice heard, and uh, we'll definitely put you on the air, and we'll talk to you and discuss any other questions or ideas that you might have. Uh, by all means, give us a call. 
Uh, Ethan, here's something I'm reading from the Associated Press right now. Uh, President Obama was deflecting criticism about the lack of diversity in his cabinet. Uh, there appears to have been some controversy here about the uh, the people he was appointing to replace the party members of his team, and there was some outcry of the fact that they, uh, you know, they're he's not appointing people with enough diversity on his team. Well, what do you what do you take on that? Well, I think his Supreme Court nominees were very diverse, uh, were very diverse choices, but um, I'm surprised by that. Uh, well, Supreme Court is not a member of his cabinet. Yes, yeah, because I'm a member of his cabinet. That's right. Um, are they saying he picked mostly men, mostly uh, Caucasian men? Is that what the, the is that what the complaint is? Uh, yeah, it seems that uh, running through a list of high-profile positions filled by women during his first term, such as uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, and also the Health and Human Services Secretary Kathleen Sebelius, um, it looks like though he, he has not uh, nominated any females to replace those vacancies. Wow. So uh, it's, it's interesting. But it, it also seems that uh, not only that, but they're saying that um, Obama's cabinet and his advisors, who will have the ear, his ear over the next four years, actually end up being almost entirely male and almost entirely white. Yeah. Which is well, actually, which is actually that they're they're noting here. The Associated Press is noting this is in very stark contrast to the diverse coalition of women, Hispanics, and minorities that largely helped give Obama a second term. Yeah, well, so, maybe the maybe there's only his only a very available option. I'm gonna I'm gonna defend Obama here. I think uh, that these were his only available options uh, for uh, for his cabinet. Maybe uh, that's just how it worked. Happened to work out. There's nothing. It wasn't. He was trying to trying to choose women. Uh, I don't know if Mitt Romney would have. Well, let's take a look. I mean, Chuck Hagel is now going to be running in the Defense Department. Uh, so, you know, he's obviously uh, a white male. And Obama's chief of staff, Jack Lew, is going to serve as Treasury Secretary. Now, the leading candidates to replace the chief of staff are both male. So he's, again, not picking any female uh, pe- you know, people here. So, um, you know, th- th- there is some kind of... Uh, how can I say? Um, it seems there is some legitimacy to this argument. I, I understand that President Obama doesn't want to be seen as that, but considering how many people are actually in politics and what percentage of them is white males, uh, you know, I think it's telling to say that you know he doesn't really have much of a choice there. Now, his Supreme Court now he has a far more uh, he has he has a far more range over there to pick from. But as far as people choose to be to surround himself with it in the cabinet, there's not very many people who are capable and know how to run the things in Washington. So I think, you know, while there is a reason to complain about this stuff, I think it's not exactly founded on on logic. I mean, you can't just you can't just uh, appoint somebody a defense secretary who has absolutely you know, no experience and no idea of how that budgeting works and how that system works um, and just bring in a person just because they're a certain type, just because they they fill a certain quota. I don't think that's how it should be in that sense. I think everybody should be looked at as an individual. I think right. everybody should be, uh, you know, looked at as, as a person who is qualified to do the job as opposed to what color skin they have or uh, what sex they are. Yeah, also... It also pays to talk about President Obama himself in his uh, in his second term or leading to his second term. Has do you think he seemed kind of arrogant at all in any of his choices, any of his way he's approached the media? Um, it's uh, it is uh, well, it is, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, yeah. It's the same it's the same thing as we were just talking about when on the gun issue. I think President Obama is far more assertive now. 
He does right. not have those moments where he kind of says, oh, well, I'm not sure, or let's wait and see, or we're going to try to go for it. No, now he's sitting down and he's going, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Uh, even looking at his comments based on, on this, uh, right here in this article I'm looking at by Associated Press, he told the Associated Press, he says, we're not going backwards, we're going forward. Again, reminding no, us of his campaign slogan. Oh. Exactly, reminding us of his campaign slogan. Once again, President Obama can't, can't, uh, can't avoid those uh, little zingers right there. Um, but here's what President Obama also mentioned. He said, I'm very proud in the first four years to be as diverse, if not a more diverse White House and Cabinet than any in history. He said, I intended to continue that because it turns out when you look for the very best people, given the incredible diversity of this country, you're going to end up with a diverse staff. Well, so he does seem very assertive in that statement. So it remains to be seen whether he can live up with his actions, what his words speak. That's something that's also been mentioned during the election campaign, and the fact that he says many things, but occasionally he tends not to follow through on the actual actions. But I think yeah. the fact that something that's coming up as well is uh, it's, it's telling, it's telling, it's so it's definitely something that President Obama might want to think about with his decisions going further, and particularly when the question is going to come up uh, as far as what his legacy is, because every president in their second term thinks about what their legacy will be once they leave office. So I, I think this is something that he might have to consider on, um, you know, well, what what his actions will be, what's going to be the next next step from here. Well, one of the points he made during the campaign. This will switch gears to our next topic. One of our main topics of the night is uh, Obama ran his campaign that he's better than Romney and Ryan on fiscal issues. And Obama says today, since he said on Monday, that he has rejected any negotiations with Republicans over raising the U.S. borrowing limit and he accused his opponents of trying to extract a ransom for not ruining the economy in the latest fiscal fight. This information comes from an article in Reuters today, and at a white an article that was posted at 8 o'clock p.m. And at a White House news conference called to What's promote... What's his news source? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the news source. Can you repeat that? Yeah? I said, what was the news source of this? The, oh, it was Reuters. R E U T E R S. Reuters. Reuters, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I I got a little bit uh not Reuters. Uh, not rooting for them. Reuters. <laughs> certainly not Hooters. Definitely not Hooters, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Um so let's talk about that. Yeah, um, Obama vowed not to trade cuts in government spending stuff by Republicans who want to cut government spending. That's their campaign. And that's been their 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 their, their MO for the last um, generation or so in exchange for raising the borrowing limit. And Obama said what he will not do is have that negotiation with the gun at the head of the American people. I'm surprised he used the word gun. Uh, with all these gun, with all these, these, I use the word gun with all these, these uh, control these issues. Um, he would use that word anyway. With an agreement to prevent the economy falling over a fiscal cliff, barely two weeks old, Washington has begun uh, a new fiscal issue: the debt ceiling, which fixes a limit on how much the government can borrow. The United States could default on its debt if Congress does not increase the borrowing limit. A prospect Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke, who spoke with him last week, warned against in separate comments on Monday. Obama has tangled repeatedly with Congress over budget and spending issues, and on Monday he said Republicans would bear the responsibility for the consequences of a default. He said they can act responsibly and pay Americans' bills or they can act irresponsibly and put America through another economic crisis, but they will not collect a ransom in exchange for not cr crashing 
the American economy, the American economy. Republicans want Obama to cut some spending to rein in the deficit before they agree to raise the debt limit again. And, and Mitch McConnell, her lie about him, the Senate Republican leader, said that the senator from the, from the Republican Party said Obama must get serious about spending and the debt limit is the perfect time for it. The American people do not support raising the debt ceiling without reducing government spending at the same time. This was said by Republican John Boehner, of course, the House of Representatives speaker. The latest debt ceiling fight in 2011 upset world financial markets, and there's a fear that could happen again. Um, remember, after, the, after they came to their first agreement on the fiscal cliff, uh, tax, I mean, the stock market went up, so there were good results when they came to their agreement the first time. Obama has cast the borrowing issue on Monday as one that will affect many Americans and sensitive industries. He said that if congressional Republicans refuse to pay Americans' bills on time, Social Security checks and veterans' benefits will be delayed. They may not be able to pay the troops or honor their contracts with small business owners, food inspectors, air traffic controllers, specialists who track down loose nuclear material wouldn't get their paychecks. Obama reminded Republicans that he won the November election partly on his approach to fiscal issues, as I mentioned before. Obama showed he was strong on fiscal issues over Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan in the November election. And the debt limit is one of a trio of deadlines looming around the end of February, including automatic deep spending cuts that were temporarily put off in the fiscal cliff deal and, and the end of a stopgap government funding measure. So, yeah, this is a big issue here, and it's kind of scary to see if um, the U.S. is going to run out of ways to prevent a default in mid-February or early March if the $16.4 trillion ceiling on borrowing is not raised. So it's going to be interesting to follow this this uh, this fiscal this next fiscal fight between Obama and and um, and Republicans, and hopefully they'll come to an agreement here, so the American people won't be uh, won't have to bear the brunt of uh, another economic crisis. Right. I think that it's something that. It's definitely to be considered about. I mean, we, we've definitely been averting a crisis, I think, for the past several years. Uh, and, and this is just a continuation of the same talk and debate uh, that, that's that been kind of going on. And, and it's interesting that, you know, we're not really seeing that much of a of leeway. We're just seeing kind of the can being kicked down the road, but nobody's really offering any ways to try to solve it, and I think the particular reason for that is because nobody wants to be responsible for the next recession, and nobody wants their finger pointed at them, and at the same time, people are afraid of giving new ideas, maybe radical ideas, that could possibly actually avert it. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's something that's definitely uh, has been around. I think this is a topic that's been talked about frequently in the past, and this is just a continuation of the same thing. And I, I know that you mentioned that, you know, we have some, basically, politicians are saying the same exact thing in different words. We know that the Republicans don't want to budge on what they want to do. We know that President Obama does not want to make any compromises. He does not want to pay any kind of reparations, as he calls them. So he, I think, very intently they're getting to the point where something has to get done. So unless somebody comes up and offers an interesting idea um, and, and, you know, both sides are willing to embrace it, um, until that happens, I don't, you know, I don't see us getting anywhere closer to a resolution that's positive. And we know that they can certainly come up with that. We know that Congress can work with President Obama, but... We we saw how that happened during the fiscal cliff debate, so we know that they can come together on, on some kind of an agreement, but I think it's just going to take them a little bit more time to really figure out how to avoid a recession again. So we, we'll see um, how things take from there. Uh, I just want to note a quick little story that I just saw here on the Associated Press as well. Uh, for those of you who know history and are curious about it, 
uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. He was the man who supposedly uh, killed President John F. Kennedy during the assassination uh, in Dallas. And the Dallas Dallas government, city government, has actually tore down his home where he used to live on Monday. And uh, this was... uh, they were going through through the walls where he used to live on Elspeth Street in Dallas, and uh, they allowed the construction workers allowed some of the history fans to grab bricks from the side of the building. So, um, you know, if you see a brick from Lee Harvey Oswald's house on eBay, that actually may be a real brick. So uh, this is something that's curiously interesting. And you know, he's, he's, dead, now, right? he's, he's, dead, he's dead by now, right? He's dead. He's been dead. Mr. Quasman, you yeah. don't know your history. Mm-hmm. You don't know your history. The, oh, yeah, the he, he, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. He was killed. He, he was he was shot by, right. uh, in a conspiracy, and what thought was to be a conspiracy, but really wasn't. But, well, we can't assume it's a conspiracy. It was never proven. Uh, however, yes, he was well, shot. Who was he shot by again? Who was he shot by, uh... I, I, to be honest with you, I do forget, but I do remember he was shot before he was actually got a chance to be prosecuted. Uh, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, go yeah and, and while you're at it, we'll, we'll just talk a little bit about this. Uh, you know, this was 1950s, 1960s, since we're on the topic of history. I want to transition for our final talks of, uh, of the night to another major, uh, I would say, political issue. We know that President Kennedy was a very big um, in international policy, particularly with, with Russia and such, but also um, something that is a question of international policy today, and that is one of our key allies, uh, Israel. Uh, the thing that I want to talk about, actually, is the Associated Press. It's like Jack Ruby. Jack Ruby. Jack Ruby, yes. Yes, thank you. That was uh, for President uh, John F. Kennedy, Jack Ruby, he was one of the investigators who worked on the Kennedy uh, assassination. He actually shot Lee Harvey Oswald as he was leaving the police station. Uh, and like I said, uh, today his house was torn down by the Dallas city government as part of a scheduled deposition. Thank God for that. <laughs> I said thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, well, well, as I said, this is uh, one of those one of those stories that, that kind of will constantly have conspiracy theories around it for years and years to come. Um, but anyways, going back to what I started talking about Israel, um, a particularly interesting moment is coming up, uh, and it's it's no surprise that I mentioned uh, President Kennedy. President Kennedy also had some testy moments, both with allies and proposed enemies. He did have a tense standoff with... Um, Russia back during the Cuban Missile Crisis. But nowadays, we're facing a different kind of crisis. We're actually facing a crisis of um, of our allies, uh, where there's been talks going in the international political community that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel is not particularly happy with President Obama's own um, views and policies towards Israel. And uh, he actually believes that the United States is not doing enough and is not putting enough pressure on Iran uh, as far as the development of their enrichment of their uranium, which could also be used for production of nuclear bombs. However, Iran denies it vehemently, and they claim that this is only for the production of electricity. Uh, but there's obviously reasons to be concerned. As we know, Iran is not exactly a very uh, diplomatic country, I would say. Uh, I, don't believe, I don't think they understand the concept of diplomacy in the same way that we do. And so I think it's very telling that for the next several years, I believe that, you know, and again, this is based on the analysis of the Associated Press, where they say that, there is reason to believe uh, because President Obama has been reelected and President Netanyahu, uh, sorry, by, by Prime Minister Netanyahu looks like the likely winner of the Israel election coming up on the 20th of January, uh, 22nd of January, I'm sorry. And uh, it seems that he, 
because that will happen, we are bound to see a lot more, a lot of a colder relationship between Israel and the United States. Now, that does not mean that they're going to stop being allies or that the U.S. is going to stop uh, supporting Israel. In fact, uh, at the most recent U.N. conference, when Palestine has filed to be uh, recognized as an independent state, the United States is one of those members who actually voted against it. So we, we still stand... Uh, the United States foreign policy still stands strongly with Israel. However, they say that um, Israel has reason to believe that uh, you know that that may not that things may not be as smooth as they used to be in the past few years, particularly uh, the way they used to be during the Clinton years and the Bush years. Uh, what's your take on that, Klaus? Yeah, I, I agree. Um... Uh, it seems that President Obama's administration and Obama himself have focused more on the Arab Spring and the, and the, the democracy coming to the Middle East instead of focusing on the, the peace plan between the Palestinians and the Israelis. And, uh, yeah, it seems that uh, Obama and uh, Netanyahu, Netanyahu have, has visited Obama like six times I've seen on Whitehouse.gov uh, at uh, at the White House, and I don't think Obama has come once to Israel during his administration, uh, his first administration, to visit Netanyahu. So it seems there there is some sticky points between um, America and Israel under Obama's administration. So uh, it's interesting to to see how it will uh, continue on. Which is very curious because, if I remember correctly, during the election, President Obama had a quite a strong turnout of uh, Jewish voters and, and Jewish supporters, and certainly uh, fundraisers in the Jewish community. And again, uh, Israel is not the biggest is not is not is not the biggest issue that Jewish voters vote on. I actually I discussed it on my other show, Avner Live, <laughs> about Jewish voters. And uh, oh, please, go ahead, then, Nathan. You seem to be more of an expert on this, then. Yeah, well, I discussed that uh, Israel is not the biggest issue for Jewish voters, basically, and that uh, um, they vote on other things like uh, health care and, uh, and and fiscal issues uh, and uh, and and what parties they're aligned with, as opposed to Israel. Israel is like the seventh most voted on issue among Jewish voters in the United States. So there are other, there are other issues that, uh, I'm sure for, for, for many voters, many Jewish voters, Israel is number one, but not for most. Uh, so that's... Well, uh, I'm sure issues, are, I'm sure issues, yeah, issues that are more domestic are probably something that takes precedence because that kind of directs... That right. kind of involves more of the day-to-day life, but I'm sure that uh, for many Jewish voters, uh, Israel is definitely, uh, you know, among the top five. I would say issues that they would think about. I mean, and when it terms of, when it comes in terms of foreign policy, uh, I definitely think this is one of the major issues that a lot of the Jewish voters seem to, to have been. Uh, that's part of actually my work that I have come across. I, I know that. Uh, when there were rocket attacks on the, you know, on the Israeli soil, um, just right right before the election, there was actually a whole rally that was done uh, for the support of Israel, and actually quite a few people turned out here in the New York City area. So, uh, you know, I, I can't speak for the country, but I can say that a lot of the Jewish voters in New York City, this is definitely one of those topics that uh, is, is right at the top of their minds, uh, certainly, and with a lot of, especially particularly with a lot of um, Jewish residents, I would say, in New York especially, they have family and they have friends who live in Israel, so it's actually a very personal topic for them. Right. Definitely. And uh, I guess while we're on topic, uh, I know that uh, Ethan has shared with me earlier that he has had some information for that uh, the Egypt's leader, Morsi, has made some anti-Jewish slurs. And, yeah, he made them. Uh, and this was this was done right during in the middle of a uh, working on a peace deal with Israel. So that seems to have uh, that doesn't seem to be a very productive way of pursuing that. 
Yeah, Mohammed Morsi is currently uh, Egypt's president, and he supposedly attacked Zionists in a 2010 interview. Now, those comments are coming back to hurt him. Uh, he tries to make a peace deal or continue the peace deal that Egypt held with Israel. Uh, when who was the last leader of Egypt? The one who uh, uh, the the one who got I have, who? Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. I forget his name. To be honest with you. Uh, I'll, look at, I'll look that up. But, uh, yeah, I should know his name. Um, well, in any case, uh, I think it's interesting because, again, this is coming up in the international community and, and anti-Semitism is something that's definitely uh, being talked about over and over and over again, particularly because Israel is actually, at this point, if I recall correctly, they're our only ally in the territory, the Middle East territory. Uh, so I think it's important that U.S. needs to keep that ally. They need to really keep the um, issues at hand. They really need to, you know, walk a fine line between, you know, supporting Israel and doing what's right and also, you know, promoting democracy in those countries and allowing them to develop into their own, um, develop their own economies and develop their own kind of way in the world and uh, promoting peace mm -hmm. and um, you know, it's unfortunate that comments which are made by uh, President Morsi come up, but it is not uncommon. It is certainly not uncommon in the Middle East. There's a lot of animosity against the, uh, the Jewish people, against Israel uh, in that area, and um, I don't think that that's something that's going to be going away in the near future. And uh, I think that's just kind of the reality that they're going to have to work with uh, going forward, and it's very possible that, you know, what President Morsi believed two years ago may not be valid today. Uh, you know, there's different times that people believe, and, uh, you know, I'm a believer that people sometimes change and, and revise their positions in life, and uh, it just might be one of those, definitely one of those um, situations. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, um, and and Israel is going to be, like you said, Netanyahu's election on January 22nd, right? So it's going to be, uh, it should, uh, the peace, the peace between Israel and its neighbors, it's going to be uh, big on President Obama's uh, term um, come, uh, come January 20th for him as well. Uh, come his inauguration, uh, not January 20th, I believe. 21st. 21st, uh, Monday. Yes, and it happens, it happens to coincide with Martin Luther King Day this, this year, which is Oh, ironic. wow. That's very ironic. <laughs> wow, yeah. That's pretty incredible. we got about two or three minutes left in our program, so you can chime in with Skype. Uh, you can chime in with our chat room on Jabber or uh, on a blog talk radio. And uh, you can also chat with us next week. Hopefully, we'll be back to our usual Sunday night time at 9. And we may have some surprises for you, so definitely stay tuned to that. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in tonight. And uh, uh, we still got some time left uh, in the program here, about one minute left. So uh, definitely you can chime in uh, in the last, last minute. Well, just to finish off, I, I just want to say that, uh, you know, there's a lot of major issues going on. It's still too early in the year to really be able to establish what the themes are going to be. Uh, but I think at this point, we can definitely say that uh, foreign policy seems to be taking a big priority for President Obama, something he hasn't had to really deal with in his first term because he was so concerned about the economy. And oh, isn't it the, the, the Sorry to interrupt you. The uh, the guy who would... <laughs> We were thinking about his name is Hosni Mubarak. Mubarak. Exactly. That was the former president of Egypt who was thrown over during the revolution. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, uh, I think something to watch coming up in the year. It's going to be foreign policy, going to be gun control, and uh, seeing how President Obama handles himself in each one of those situations. And so I think with that being said, we look forward to covering all those with you. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I've been, this was Ilya Arbit here with uh, Ethan Quatsman on Legal Docket, episode 19, and we hope to see you back next week when we come back on the air.
Ethan, last words? Last words, just check us out next week. Hopefully, it will be Sunday, January 20th, the before the inauguration of President Obama's second term. Thank you for tonight. Good night. Good night. Good night.